Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daly Knives. And this is The Knife Perspective, episode number 045. And it is the man, the myth, the legend, John Medlin. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? Very good. Uh, I was uh, pretty mad yesterday. Um, I was supposed to get the shop spray foamed, and yeah. uh, they said they were going to be here at like 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, seven thirty, eight o'clock. So I had like, I just completely tore my body apart putting all the three quarter inch plywood up there, so it'd be a whole lot easier for him to stand around and storage and stuff. So it'd all be spray foamed in and be super nice. And it's like I'm like, okay, it's seven thirty. They should be rolling around, keeping an eye out. Eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock, and then uh, I message like text message the guy. I'm like, hey, are you? When are you guys showing up? He's like. Uh yeah, sorry, we won't be there today. We won't have stuff for at least another month. We'll have won't have foam for at least another month. And I'm like, I talked to you two weeks ago and everything was good to go. And mm-hmm. he never never said anything after that. So I wanna uh, make a comment about the only people more unreliable than knife makers are insulation <laughs> guys. But I know how falls cold it must be up there because it was slightly chilly down here this weekend. And uh, it was it was uh, sixty degrees today. Really? It's supposed to be sixty two tomorrow and sixty four on Thursday. Duke kaboom! That global warming ain't so bad after all, is it? Friday it's supposed to be forty two degrees again, so back oh, in yeah. reality. But yeah, so I was pretty mad yesterday. Uh, one of the ended up going with another company. They're they're scheduling trying to schedule me in. So yeah. That's one of those ones that even if I have to wait another month, it's worth it not. Yeah. So. Wow. I've gone through my entire profanity lit uh, allotment and we're not even through the intro yet. <laughs> yeah. So I was pretty bad that I put Christmas orders and stuff uh, to the side while I was busy doing that. But at least uh, the 21 sheets of three quarter inch plywood are up there. So buy a house with that. You know yeah, what three-quarter-inch ply is going for these days? Uh, it was actually $37 a sheet. So Well, nice has come back down. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't too bad. It was, When we were looking at doing this a little over a year ago, it was $87 for a three-quarter-inch plywood sheet. So uh, I thought I was getting a steal now. So those things are heavy, man. <laughs> yes, and you're getting older. Yeah, I'm 36. Can you believe that? Wow. <sighs> yeah. I don't know which one bothers me more, that you're 36, or I just realized I'm 11 freaking years older than you are. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I was pretty mad yesterday, but I'm I'm in a much better mood now. We went and drove around a little bit and uh, looked at some Christmas lights and stuff, listed some Christmas carols and stuff. The the boys were super excited and nice to uh, see some of that stuff. You're in that golden period where 
they believe, but they're a little low maintenance and they still get excited. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I miss that so much. I'm almost looking forward to grandkids. <laughs> All right. So how, how are you doing, Dan? Um, so, you know, Christmas rush. So that is what it is. Hand sanding. We all know that sucks. Um, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. At least you have some of those awesome sanding sticks, though. I do. And, you know, the, the hard black ones really, really work well. The, the softer white ones, it's nice because they follow the contours and they get the scratches out. But I, I, I got to give you credit. Having some options on the backing material was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the softer rubber for the the higher grits. So <coughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me about you. Oh man! Uh, so uh, first off, uh, some of the listeners might notice Dan hopefully sounds a lot better. Our uh, our wonderful sponsors, uh, we were able to buy Dan a new microphone. So. Uh, hopefully sounds the, the similar to me and uh, thank you all of our sponsors and uh, thank you sponsors for my phenomenal new microphone and all the extra time that Kyle now has to do other unimportant things because the editing will now be easier. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I got a lot, I got a lot of swear words to edit out, but uh, our first uh, sponsor up is Broadbeck Ironworks. They uh, are a great sponsor of the podcast. They, uh, I've got one of their grinders. Guest today has a bunch of their grinders, so you can use the that whole shop is drink the cool. Yeah. You can use the discount code uh, KP on their grinder, and that will get you a free upgrade to the Moreco Platin on Ooh. your grinder package order. Thank you, Broadbeck, for your for your great stuff. And my new microphone. Yeah, helping us buy a new microphone and. Uh, Phoenix Abrasives. If you have a have a two by seventy two, you need some great abrasives. They're a great sponsor of the podcast. You can use discount code KP ten for ten percent off all your orders. They sell everything from belts to uh, respirator parts. So make sure you check them out. I've been using the hell out of their purple belts on the particle steel. Yeah, and you know, I, I was a, a hardcore Norton Blaze guy, um, but their purple belts have been doing really well. Yeah, I, I like them a ton. They're the they're the belt I use the most. They also now some cross pollination with our sponsors there. They actually sell the their incinerator belts are now uh, available through Phoenix Abrasives, so oh, you yeah. can get ten uh, percent off the incinerator thirty six grit belts. And they're the kind of orange, they're the orange red kind of color. No, they're this blue uh, color. Oh. Vince Vince talked a little bit about it. Yeah, after the show, uh, he. He worked with a company to put together some some grinding aid and uh, abrasive. It, it's yep. a ceramic belt, but it helps break down a lot quicker, uh, so it stays sharp longer. So I know I know quite a few people have been really happy with them. I ordered a pack of six of them, but I'm finishing up a bunch of handles and stuff. So I got a mm. bunch more MagnaCut coming on the way. So I'm going to be doing some of my first MagnaCut knives here soon with them. I'm about to re-up because, uh, yeah, I got eight feet of MagnaCut to do, so I'll uh, I'll give those a try. Yeah, they're a little bit pricey, but people have been saying that they, they're they like five belts in one, so. Yeah, I mean, the way I blow through, the way I blew through Norton Blaze with MagnaCut, man, if they can save me a couple of belts, it'll be worth it. Yeah. 
So, and you can get uh, 10% off if you uh, use the KP10 uh, discount on your order through uh, Phoenix. So either way, you can uh, get that belt. And then our other wonderful sponsor that also carries Dogwood Custom Knives and Cage Daily Knives is Old Town Cutlery. They sell everything from production knives to knife making supplies to sharpening equipment, uh, everything, uh, even 10 signs. Uh, they had a sale, Black Friday sale on uh, some different stuff, some case signs and things like that. So uh, you could use the discount code KP10 for 10% off your order from Old Town also. So uh, they're a great sponsor. And then uh, Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives is always one of the sponsors there. So want to give a shout out to our dealers. Uh, Old Town Cutlery carries Dogwood Custom Knives and Cage Daily Knives, like I just said. Uh, Knife Center and the Cook Station also carry Dogwood Custom Knives and uh, will enter or have a uh, celebratory. You've got a you've got a new dealer, don't you? Yeah, uh, no, Northside. Oh, Ray of Sunshine, Party Balloons. Yeah, so Northside Cutlery, Kevin Silverman is uh, the guy. He was actually out here today. He picked up a bunch of knives, and uh, he's going to be selling them in the Chicago area. So if you're in the, the north side of Chicago, uh, he does lots or of sharpening. Side. I mean, be prepared yeah. to drive for quality. Yeah, he does. He'll do full stone sharpening. He has a full gamut of all the Japanese stones. Uh, real nice guy. He was a chef. He's uh, trained at the CIA fully trained on all that stuff and then started uh when he moved to chicago it was right when the pandemic started and he lost his chef gig and mm. uh, he ended up starting sharpening knives because he couldn't find anywhere because everywhere was cutting back and it's really taken off for him so i uh, want to get make sure give him a shout out and he's uh starting to carry some of my knives outstanding yeah so pretty happy for about that and Kevin said he sharpened 175 knives on Saturday and then 125 knives on Sunday. So, Jeez. man, my shoulder uh, just, I'm just hearing that, my shoulder started to ache. Yeah, not all those were 100% stone sharpened. A lot of those were belt sharpened, but yeah, it's definitely getting a lot of business. So, hopefully, it keeps on going. Shout outs and gear talk. Yeah, do you want to do one of yours first or? Want me to well, keep going? I've just got the one, but it's 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 pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie. All right, let me lay it on me. Totally unknife related. Well, I mean it's inspiration related. The wandering bard metery. That's right. I mean I don't LARP. I haven't played D and D in a while, but I do drink mead. I'm not gonna lie. They are a metery in Greenville that make some really phenomenal, they do like a traditional mead, but they also do like some old world spice meads. And I have found that when I need inspiration or to counteract all the rip fuel that I've been pounding, they are the people <laughs> to go with. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You've been really laying it on the rip fuel. Yeah. A really good friend of the show. Um, you know, I, I'm an old man. I was back in the service in the nineties and, and rip it's both pill and liquid form is what used to get us through the night. And I just offhand mentioned it. And, uh, our good friends at mountain ombre forge, 
I don't know where he found it. I don't know what off-world connection he has, but he climbed in the Wayback Machine and ran back to like 1993 and found me a case of Rip Fuel. And if you get your Christmas order this year, it's because Mountain Ombre Forge hooked me up with some Rip Fuel. The taste just like you remembered? It does. Yeah. Um, What's the preferred just, flavor? Um, yeah, the flavor is just like kind of a pseudo battery acid burning down. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's like 390 milligrams of caffeine per dose. Wow. And and all the necessary minerals and vitamins that a, a growing body needs. B12? Oh, yeah, totally. Lots of B12. <laughs> and B13. Uh, and <laughs> there was this stuff, uh, it was called Zip Fizz, that a bunch of guys were like, it's like a powder and came in like a little tube. And they'd pour it in the water bottle and shake it up. And it was like 12,000% of your daily B12. <laughs> and it was like... 12,000% of anything, I don't think is... Uh, that sounds like a kidney stone to me. Yeah. But uh, back to shout-outs. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to say the last name, but Juan Nieves. He's an right. EDC maker. Uh, it's N-I-E-V-E-S. Uh, was watching one of his uh, Instagram posts, and I saw saw a whole bunch of this like uh, real bright green handle mat- or uh, liner material. And I messaged him like, hey, what's that? And he goes, uh, it's 30,000 thick Bakelite. And uh, apparently yeah. he has like a ton of like four by eight sheets of this stuff. He said he doesn't know why it was originally produced, but he has it in like all the different colors. I bought red, blue, green, and orange. And all of them are super vibrant, great looking. Um, looking How does it work? I haven't used it yet. I just got it in all a couple right. days ago. Um but it looks super beautiful. Because I always think of like Bakelite as like 1920s. Yeah. Um, of course, one would argue that 1920s, what, that's 100 years ago. Um, so if it will last 100 years, it'll probably work as a knife handle. Yeah. Well, it's it's 30,000 thick. So it's more for like a liner color oh, yeah, uh, that we use. Um, but yeah, it looks super cool. The green color was just super vibrant. It wasn't kind of like the toxic green. It was more of like a, almost like an emerald. I, I just really, Ooh. really caught my eye. So like a deeper green rather than a brighter green. Yeah, but it still still pops. So I'm pretty excited for that. I'm uh, looking forward to using that on some handles coming up. And our next shout out uh, is Nick. And I'm going to butcher your last name. Sorry, Nick. Uh, Bialyu. He's Canadian. French, maybe? Canadian, French, something like that. I know he's uh, from Canada. Uh, the Edge Professional is his Instagram tag. He works for Northwest Cutlery uh, here in Chicago. He does a lot of sharpening videos and stuff. It does a lot of, has done a lot of videos for Japanese stones and stuff. He's really been getting into a lot of those, buying some pretty high-end stones. I've been learning a bunch about that from him. So uh, definitely check him out. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, Poppy, one of the guys he works with, uh, has been sharpening knives uh, of all kinds for like, I think it was like 35 or 40 years, something like that. He's, uh, he does these like uh, meat slicer blades. They're like, I don't know, 14 inches oh, yeah. in diameter. I, I think I've seen this guy that does the discs. Yeah, he like puts them on a screwdriver and like holds them on the grinder and they're like spinning around at how many thousand RPM. And I'm like, I watched this video and all I could think was no freaking way. I'm not doing that. Yeah. 
he sharpens like he sharpens like a hunt or a bunch of those every week for places. So uh definitely yeah, that, that's next level. Yeah, so Northwestern Cutlery, it's NW Cutlery, I think, on Instagram. Uh, and the Edge Professional, uh, a lot of the stuff, Nick does a lot of their social media stuff. So they do a lot of the, so Chicago is still a pretty big meatpacking city. Uh, they do a ton of like meatpacking really? knives and stuff. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not the way, not no the way you're thinking, Dan. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so definitely check it out. Wait, you don't pack sausage casing anymore? You don't just cram it in like that? I don't know. Anyway, uh, next one, good friend of the show, one of my one of my one of my knife maker friends, Big Chris. He uh, bought a couple of these like engraved box cutters, and uh, I was like, "What the heck are those?" And uh, I want to give a shout out to the tool engraver uh, on Instagram, and uh, he makes these super cool like Stanley uh, box cutters, pliers, tape measures, plumb bobs. Uh, he does all hand engraved stuff, embellishments on it, and you can buy them right away. Really cool, really cool stuff. So definitely check him out. Um, if you have any last minute Christmas needs, I know there was still some stuff on his website. Seems to sell out pretty quick. The plumb bob actually intrigues me. I still do some carpentry. Okay. I'm going to have to check that out. He does a lot of cool, like, leave or like feathery patterns and like the traditional. A lot of the traditional hand engraved stuff. So, and then um, our last shout out is Atlas Materials. Uh, Dan and Natasha uh, over there, they do a great job. That's who I buy a lot of my stuff from. They're actually in Wheeling, which is about a half an hour from me. So, anytime I have like uh, bigger sheets and stuff, I just go there and pick it up because it saves me so much money and shipping and everything. And I get to get to talk with Dan and Natasha. They're they're great. I like their I like their faux ivory because it's kitchen safe, mm-hmm. and I love that they do colored pin stock. Yeah, and they have like all sorts of liner material that you can ask for. Uh, they sell it in all different size sheets. Uh, I bought some like I think it was forty by forty eight inch pieces. Great prices on that, and took me forever cutting it up on the table saw. But I really like buying it in the bigger sheets so that I can sand it all with a ram- random orbital sander. So I'm not trying to like scuff up the like one and a half inch squares, rectangles for the liner scales. Uh, you can do a all big sheet at once. Those guys are definitely awesome. Definitely check them out. They have lots of crazy fiber that, and uh, they've got uh, Kieranite, all sorts of stuff. They they do a lot. They started off doing a whole lot of stuff for the pool cue industry. Uh, apparently, pus- yeah. custom pool cues. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time saying that. Um, I'm going to say it's the alcohol. I only had one beer, so we'll see about, I don't know about that, but um, apparently the custom pool cue industry was like really big. And then a lot of that stuff transfers over to knife handles. It turns out micartas and crazy fibers and all that looks really sexy on a knife too. Yeah. And they got G10 and yeah, all those, all those different colors. And like Dan mentioned, uh, all sorts of G10 color pins. So uh, the liner colors that you have, you can per- like have the exact same color pins as your liners. Um, all of them perfectly. And that's what I like. I like for my liners and my pins to match. Yeah. And then uh, our last or one of the last things I wanted to mention, not really 
not really kind of a shout out, but uh, slinging with Mr. Cooper. Oh, uh, he's one of one of the friends of the show. Everybody, you need to pause the show and check to make sure your Instagram account has two factor authentication on. There have been lots of people and lots of uh, big accounts recently that have gotten hacked and taken over. And uh, you don't want to all the time that we spent building a following on Instagram and all of our social medias want to make sure you you don't have somebody pirate that and take over and uh, start posting all sorts of random stuff to thinking a lot of people are trying to believe you. So make sure you guys help to make sure your two factor authentication stuff is turned on for your your accounts. Do I need to help you with that after the show, Dan? Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it turns out I'm 11 freaking years older than you. So I'm like a whole nother generation. And you should really be impressed that I just have a smartphone. You've had a smartphone for a while now, have you? You had Ever since my son showed me how to turn it on. <laughs> nice. I actually, I will, you know, I'll take a little pride that I had like the iPhone one. Because I got pissed off because I had a cell phone and an iPod. And then when I realized I could get both of those in one, I drank the Kool-Aid. Nice. Yeah, I'm that freaking old. So were you, you were on AT&T? Now, now I'm you were that? on AT&T cell phone plan? I was. Yeah, I was. I used to have an indestructible flip phone that would fit in the watch pocket of my jeans. The start, that StarTac? Yeah. Yeah, my grandma had one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was cooler than you as well. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get get a cell phone until I was like in high school, so or into high school, going into college. So, uh, I'm going to overshare, but I remember having a satchel phone in my work truck. Yeah, my grandpa had one forever in his semi, and uh, Verizon stopped uh, supporting it. And uh, he was like, went to make a phone call one day, and it didn't work. He called or called when he got home. He's like, "Hey, my." My phone and my truck isn't working. Like, oh yeah, we don't support that frequency anymore. You'll have to come in and we'll give you we'll give you a new phone. And they gave him like a my grandpa's like got like freaking sausages for fingers. <laughs> and uh they gave him this phone with little buttons and he was like, uh, you're gonna have to give me a, a different phone. I can't I can't type the numbers and stuff on this. I need a pencil. <laughs> yeah. And uh they're like, sorry, uh any any other phone is going to be at least a hundred dollars or more that you're going to have to pay to to upcharge it. And he goes, I've had I've had an account with you for fourteen years. You've discontinued the phone that I've been using that was perfectly fine, and you're going to make me pay for a phone. And he's like, just cancel my account. And he went to AT and T. I can respect so. a man, <laughs> but we where I'm still on Verizon, so I had to wait until the iPhone. Uh, exclusivity contract with AT&T was up. I, God, you know, I'm going to go ahead and admit it. The cell phone number I have goes all the way back to not just a flip phone, but the Motorola, like giant brick phone. Yeah. I managed to just carry it through all of these years. I've, I've had the same phone number since 2003. So. If you've got my phone number, you've you've got it still. So, wow. But yeah, make sure you guys have two-factor right. authentication this, uh, set up on your accounts. Make sure you don't get hacked and lose all the work you put in. 
or have somebody sending scantily clad Asian girls with with cryptocurrency advertisements. I told you, Dan, that's a hashtag, not my account. <laughs> I'm just saying it shows up under you a lot. <laughs> it says hashtag cage daily dives. Apparently my my right, hashtag right. is getting getting enough following that uh right, you're big money. I get yeah. it. I get it. Dan's rants. This is a new segment. I've got like five of these queued up, so you're gonna for the next five episodes, this is totally gonna be a thing. Um lay it on me, man. All right. So let me let me lay a little groundwork. As more and more new makers come in the industry and the industry grows, the chances of two or more people coming up with the same idea completely independent of each other is growing. I know like the piranha. I worked with Joe flowers to design that knife. We're two experienced, knowledgeable guys in the industry. And there were at least two versions that we had worked out. And then we did a Google search and I'm going to come back to this because it's important and realized that it was way too close to somebody else's patent or patent can't have a patent in this industry that's part of the problem there's no protection for your design my design anybody else's design so we did a search realized it was too close to somebody else's and went back to the drawing board and this is important because there's no copyright there's no patent protection the only way people in our industry are going to grow and be successful and be able to have something marketable that's theirs if we self-police and that's twofold that's one being able to go hey you know what this is just a little too close to somebody else's design i need to go back to the drawing board or on the darker side of that line going hey that dude ripped off another maker we're not doing business with him and i fully acknowledge there's a lot of gray zone in there but if we don't self-police, then very quickly this industry is going to unravel. The only way to make things better to grow the industry as a whole is if we can get a payoff for the time and energy that we put into a design. And the only thing that's protecting that is us. And again, to go back to Joe and I, we designed a knife and... Joe, being younger and more technologically advanced than me, would capture an image of that knife and do a Google image search on it. And in in a couple of cases, there were somebody else that had already come to the market with a knife that was just, it was just too close to that pattern. So I fully acknowledge that people can get to the same place. You can have the same influences. I mean, you can have... Romans and Hawaiians both using red capes, having never met each other. Like you could come to that design entirely by yourself. But once you get there, capture your image, do an image search, and just make sure nobody else is already on the market that way. And part of this protects the industry in that we're not cannibalizing each other. We're not stealing each other's patterns. And it can avoid a confrontation down the road where you legitimately came up with this this really phenomenal pattern all by yourself. 
but another maker had brought that thing to the market two years ago. And then you come to the market and now you've got a conflict between the two of you that you don't need to have. So take a minute. You know, if you've got a pattern that you really feel like you're ready to start making, take a minute and do a little search and see if anybody else has done it before you. And I'm not talking, I mean, Bowie knives. There's tens of millions of Bowie knives. Arguably, no one is ever going to do a new Bowie knife. So obviously, there's some, some gray zone in here, but... You can look at an image and go, those, those are too similar. Like, if it's recognizable, you know it's too close. So I'm just going to say, hey, guys, especially you young guys that are starting to work, come into the field, take advantage of the technology, respect the people that have come before you. The old guys, hey, respect somebody that beat you to the market. Take a minute and, and let's respect each other's work. And, and work together. And this is a simple tool that can be used just to make sure that you're not, you're not cutting into somebody else's market because you don't want somebody else cutting into yours. Yeah. And I know like one of the things I was thinking about making, I know somebody that used to make it and hasn't, or I didn't think they had made it for a few years. I reached out to him and said, Hey, I'm thinking about making these. Do you mind if I start making it? And he said, I'd really prefer you not. I'm planning on making those again. And I'm like, all right, no problem. So uh, don't or reach out to people too. Some of them might say, yeah, sure, go ahead with it. I don't, I don't, yours is different enough or just have the conversation with somebody. And I was going to say the flip side is I've had somebody reach out to me and theirs was slightly different and partially just out of respect that they reached out to me. And it was different enough that I said, hey, you know what? It's yours. You want to throw me a bone and say you were inspired by me? I appreciate it. But had they not reached out to me, I probably would have been pissed and done some petty stuff. But they showed me the respect and said, hey, there's a possible conflict here. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I appreciate you contacting me. Don't worry about it. Run with it. Yeah. So uh, you want to interview or introduce our guests for tonight? I do. The man, the myth, but not a legend. Um, and, you know, I probably should give a little full disclosure. He is a fellow officer. Um, you know, I, I'm careful of throwing the founding term away because I was the founder. But he is <laughs> one of the founding uh, officers of the South Carolina Custom Knife Makers Guild. Also uh, a Fortune Fire alumni and a really phenomenal hammer swinger, John Medlin. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's, it's a good time so far. Yeah. I, you know, I'm excited for you to be excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to get to know some more about you because you haven't been on social media that long and stuff like that. So I haven't really, don't really know a ton about I know I've seen a lot of your knives and stuff around, but excited to learn some more about the man behind all the knives and uh, apparently all sorts of other different projects that uh, you decide to pick up at any any moment. So, flippers and pots and plates and spatulas and all the things you need. We learned about That's rings right. and all sorts of leather holsters and stuff too. And 
Yeah. Hey, not that kind of podcast. <laughs> Gun holsters. <laughs> uh, oh, oh yeah, no, it is that kind of podcast. <laughs> so, uh, one of the one of the questions we always like to start out with, John, is where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up right, well, kind of where I am now, uh, St. Matthew, South Carolina. It's pretty, pretty little uh, small town. It's got two stoplights, and you, know, you blink, you're through it, and you, know, you didn't even know you, you know you were there. Okay, and that's near Charleston or near Columbia, right? Yeah, so yeah, so we're about we're kind of between them. So we're about hour hour and fifteen minutes uh, north of Charleston, and then probably uh, you know thirty minutes south of Columbia. Okay. And then uh, one of the other questions we like to start off with too is, uh, what was your first knife? Um, so my first knife, I was probably, uh, I don't know, 14, 15, maybe. And I made it out of a piece of, actually it was a nail. It was like a, I don't know, like a, a big pole barn nail. And I, my dad had a double, uh, that'd be a spike. <laughs> yeah, my dad had a double burner, uh, grill, uh, like, uh, propane and it would get, it would get it like red. You know, it wouldn't get it quite hot enough that you needed it to be hot enough. Like but, uh, scary, but there you go. Enough to enough to burn that burn the heck out of you. And I uh, beat it flat, and I think I grounded on. I think I grounded on like just a, a bench grinder, like a stone wheel bench grinder, and then drove it into a piece of copper pipe, and you know, looked like a prison shank. But uh, <laughs> got the that's all the best ones do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So was was that your your first the first that was probably the first that, yeah the first, yeah that's probably the first one that you made what was the first knife that you you ever had or like uh, um let's see probably like uh, just like kind of a, some kind of pocket knife probably like a Swiss Army knife or something uh, we were grew up very outdoorsy and um, I'm sure my dad gave this me this is two a or three pivotal of moment of, of your maturity of your manhood this was this was the first rite of passage you ever. Had you ever had and we get uh it was some kind of pocket knife come on man no i was i was the kid i was the kid that was known to like lose everything like that so it's probably planted somewhere in the woods you know um but i you know probably probably was a good that's that's right um so yeah it's probably some kind of some kind of pocket i probably swiss army knife i I remember getting cut all the time so i know i was carrying something yeah no i I'm going to let you have the next one because I get the Kyle Dan scale question. That's like my question. <laughs> uh, so did you did you go any any uh, college or secondary education after you when you grew up? So yeah, so I did. Um, I went to uh, Bob Jones University, which is in Greenville, actually really close to Dan. I don't, I would imagine. Um, I did um, my undergrad work there, and um, I got a Bachelor of Arts. Um, in youth ministries, which is basically like a teaching degree with uh-huh. emphasis in Bible. And uh, then I was one of those great people that went on to get a master's. <laughs> so um, I did a master's in uh, psychology. <laughs> and uh, so people give me a really weird looks when it comes to what I do now. Um, now I, I still do use uh, my educational side, but uh, but yeah, so I did uh, undergrad and grad work at uh, Baptist University and actually worked at a restaurant um, all through those six years. So took my licks on both sides. So are you Chef Ralph, who is a anchor member of the, uh, the fan base here, as well as a really phenomenal chef that does some of our gatherings huh? is the executive chef there. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. He's an outstanding individual. Very good. Very good. 
So uh, after college, what'd you, what'd you do? Uh, so I, when I was in college, I, I started, um, so I worked a contract, uh, I, I don't know how they described it back then, but it basically I was on contract. Um, my pay was on contract because I was, um, they called it a, a GA, so grad apprenticeship. So I worked at the restaurant and helped pay for my uh, grad work. And so my pay was like locked in at a steady and I could only get so many hours a week. And my uh, going into my second year of grad school, I got married um, and that added some bills and, and all that kind of stuff. So I actually started working in online sales with whether, whether it was eBay, um, just anything I could do to make an extra buck. Um, so I started there and I, I kind of kept with that. Um, even when I, I finished um, school, we moved down uh, from Greenville to St. Matthew's area. Um, I worked part time at a church and then I, I worked part time um, with online sales um, for, let's see. I did that for, I don't know, quite quite a while, um, three or four years, well, I say quite a while, three or four years, something like that. Um, and then that kind of evolved into me making stuff and selling it online. So, nice. so I feel like we've gotten ahead of ourselves. Yeah. yeah we, <laughs> we really we, need to get the, the burning important question. Oh, yeah? How did you meet your wife and where does it fall on the Kyle Bowen <laughs> Uh, so we we actually when we met, I was actually dating someone else, and she was actually dating this someone is else. Really kind of Danish. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I was uh, friends uh, friends with her boyfriend at the time. Uh, acquaintances, I guess we weren't really friends. Um, uh, but we were, you know, we knew each other. Um, in some of the same classes, and uh, she was a year a year behind me in school. So uh, I met her when she was with him. She met me when I was with a different girl and, um, right, so orgy. We get it. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> we, we, we probably shared like, I don't know. Contact across the big <laughs> we, we probably shared like five words, you know, the first time we met. Um, and then let's see. Uh, I was probably a year later, maybe two years later. It was, it was a good bit of time between that. Um, uh, I used to work. It's funny. Cause how we met uh i i was the by the second or third year in the restaurant i had become um what we called a student manager and mm-hmm. so i had like i don't know maybe power I, yeah i had like six or eight people under me something like that um in different shifts and um everybody used to always get hate to get a saturday shift because if you're a student like your, your only day off pretty much was saturday sunday and uh but if you got a saturday work shift like you had to open up on a saturday morning no one wanted to get up on a saturday morning um so she was actually on one of my crews on saturday mornings and you abuse your power <laughs> yeah to, to die that's not a bad thing i respect <laughs> so uh so we 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 neither one at that point neither one of us were seeing anybody so uh we just started talking and i think when i i'm pretty sure the first time i asked her out she thought it was a joke like uh like i had to forget what, what i asked her that? out to and i was just like hey you want to go you want to go out do this and she was like kind of like are, are you being serious right now and i was like because uh, she was she was you know She's a pretty girl, and she was talking to several several guys. But yeah, you know, I, I wooed her after that. I kind of wore her down. Yeah, nothing like a, an abuse of power to help. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to work the Saturday morning shift or not? <laughs> hey, you want a good shift? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you do on Saturday? This is one of two answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, I applaud you. You know, not every man will will abuse his position nowadays. <laughs> now you're making me sound awful. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I'm just I'm just recapping what you told me. Oh, okay, all right. It, with yeah, a, it sounds with, like being married all over again with a dad filter. <laughs> uh, 
I, I feel like this is a win for Team Dan. Yep. <laughs> kind of Danish. So how'd you get started making knives if you were kind of doing some online sales and stuff? Uh, uh so always um I worked in a using your power over women. That's true. That's true. Um I let's see how um I so I so I eventually I kinda rolled over into full time um working in an office at a church. And um so my outlet became I had a shop. When we moved down here, the place we were able to get had a pretty big shop. And um I just started a lot of I did a lot of woodwork, just different things. Um you know, small furniture shelves, that kind of stuff. And then um, I don't remember what I saw or who I talked to or either was reminded from, you know, childhood and loving to stab and cut things um, that I wanted to try to make a knife. (laughs) That's right. So I want to try to make a knife again. And um, I think I took like 50 bucks and went to the scrapyard and bought uh, a tractor trailer, brake drum and some pipe. And I had a uh, one of the air mattress, like the little electric motors that blow up air mattresses. Mm-hmm. So I rigged a forge out of that. It took me forever to find coal down here because I didn't know anybody that did any kind of forging. Um, found some coal finally. Um, so I, I probably put like 20 or 30 bucks into the whole setup. Uh, got a, a, I, My first anvil was actually a piece of plate steel welded on top of a metal table. Um, so I just started playing oh, around man. and it probably took me oh shoot i don't know six months a year uh before i could actually make something that uh resembled a knife or forge something that resembled a knife that was probably 2013 14 13 something like that and uh it it started going downhill fast after that you've only been doing this seven years yeah close seven eight years yeah all right, screw you. Yeah, I didn't realize you haven't been doing this shit for at least fifteen years. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, he's the younger yeah. Dan. Yeah, that's that's impressive. I mean, your your work is far beyond something I would expect from from seven or eight years. Well, yeah. thanks. Yep. No, don't thank me. I say that with absolute bitterness. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm one of those people that like once I get a hold of something or like once I I, I get into something like I'm 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 like I'm into it. Like I I just especially if I have something in my head that I, I want to see happen or see how it looks, you know, to make that. And I and that that was the problem with some of the leather work that I started with. I would I would work I don't know five six nights a week till two in the morning trying to produce whatever it is I was trying to produce and. Uh, it's okay until you want to have a life somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Or kids that Wife and worry kids out. Can your feet. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, so you start making Favorite stuff night. like on the side, on a, on a plate that was folded to a table. Uh, yes. How, where did, where did stuff go from there? So finally, I would say, I'd say six months, a year in, I finally got where I could make something uh, that I could sell. Uh, how be it, you know, like 20, 30, 40 bucks, whatever it was. Um, you know, a bottle opener, uh, a blacksmith style knife or whatever, you know. And so anytime I would get enough money together from that to purchase another tool or anvil or whatever, I would, that's that's what I would go do. Um, <laughs> so, um, and then it kept growing. Um, and then I just see. I've probably been doing it at maybe maybe two or three years, two years, I don't know, something like that. And um, I didn't, I really didn't do Instagram or anything like that, but um, my wife did. And uh, she started putting pictures online and it, and it started, uh, people started asking, you know, to buy more pieces. 
And uh, it just kept rolling. And I guess my first big break with a lot of it, because I, I never really thought of it as a business. It was just a hobby, you know. Um, but um, I got an email from one of the producers of Fortune Fire. And they're like, hey, you want to come on the show? I thought it was I thought it was a scam. Because at that point, I had never even watched the show. Um, and uh, <laughs> and then started looking to it. And it wasn't a scam. So, you know, that's kind of rolled into there. And then just got, got kept getting bigger after that. So what was the year you were on Fortune Fire? <sighs> See, two, 2009, I think 19? I think and what was the episode? Uh, it's, it's season six, episode seven. Yeah, that's one of the one of the seasons that actually is on Netflix for anybody okay. that wants to go watch it. And you're the actual, or your picture is actually on the, if you go to that episode, you'll actually see a picture of John right on the Oh, episode. great. Uh, that makes me feel <laughs> that means he's the least ugly person on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or, or maybe just the most interesting looking. Yeah, no, I'm going to go with the most ugly. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk some more about Fortune Fire in a minute, but uh, right. what's, what's, what's one of the knives you use the most? Uh, be uh, it outdoors, kitchen, what kind of stuff? Um, kitchen. <laughs> uh, let, I'm trying to think. Um, to be honest, the knife I use the most in the shop right now is this little like Sloyd style carving knife, and that's just because I use it for everything. Uh, and it's it's just a cheap, I don't know, <laughs> cheap knockoff something. Um, the and most the, used knife in my shop is the Shankerator five thousand <laughs> that I didn't even bother to put a handle on. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, in the house, I have a couple. So I, I don't know. I I, I rarely. Make a knife. So my my wife, I've offered to make her like I don't know how many different kind of knives, um, but she honestly just likes the small like a small like three to four inch pairing style knife, um, and it, she prefers that over any pretty much chef knife or anything like that. So uh, I've made her a couple of those. We have one in the kitchen right now that doesn't doesn't have a handle on it. A lot of people write that off, but it's an incredibly useful link. Yeah, I'm surprised how many people like make their entire meals with like steak knives. I've been getting a lot of requests for knives and stuff recently, and the some of the stuff they, they use most is just, like, a serrated steak knife. And part of the reason is that's one of the only knives that, like, stays sharp. Uh, one of the guys <laughs> I know, he, like, his dad cuts all of their food on, like, a ceramic plate. And I'm like, what are, what, what are you doing? Oh, my soul just died a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, why are you telling me this? So... So no knife for you. <laughs> yeah. Like that should be part of the screening process. What type of cutting board do you use? Oh no, 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 sorry, you don't get that. <laughs> yeah. So uh where what what kind of things uh draw your inspiration for for making knives? Um so other than let's, <laughs> That's right, right. Um so when my um I guess a lot of my early inspiration came from just the um, outdoor style knives. So like your bushcraft knives, um, uh, your, you know, more utilitarian knives. And uh, to be honest, like the, one of the grinds that I struggled the most with early on was just a Scandi grind. Like I'm making a really nice, clean Scandi grind. And, and some makers would be like, oh, that's neat. you know, I, that was, I could do a nice full flat with a curved plunge a lot easier than I could do a Scandi grind. Um, but, you know. You know the nice thing about, if you're doing a flat grind and you meant to do a saber grind and you oops, <laughs> yeah. you just make it a full height that's, grind. That's right. That's right. With a standing grind, you either hit it or you don't. That's right. That's right. Well, you, uh, you, hit so, it, you hit it or you turn it into a full height grind also. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of that, in fact, I ha- I have uh, I have one of the earlier, uh, well, earlier to me, I guess, Condor bushcraft knives, and and a lot of my earlier stuff was either like a drop point hunter style knife, um, similar to what I had seen used because we we I grew up um, deer hunting and and outdoors kind of stuff, and that was similar to what I had always seen. Um, and to be honest, not not being online a lot, not looking at a lot of other makers that that was kind of where a lot of my inspiration came from was just a daily use knife and then it kind of evolved after I after I did start using Instagram and different things and seeing that oh man check this out you know um uh, and a lot of that um early cuz I took a class in I think 2000 it was 2000 um or 2019 I took a class with Jason Knight um we did those like brute deforged choppers that so he's kind of like a signature style knife yeah um and when I started looking at a lot of people that were forging knives and forging them that close to finish um, and that kind of stuff, that's kind of where my bent went to. And that's why I spent so much time on the hammer. Um, so so it, I guess outdoors in, in that kind of that kind of knife um, from a camp chopper to a bushcraft knife is where most of my early inspiration came from. Cool. So was uh, was learning from Jason kind of one of your first uh kind of form more formal training for blacksmithing yeah. or did you find a local blacksmith or somebody that you worked with or how'd you learn how to swing a hammer? Um, so, a yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing wrong with grinding. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no. So uh, we have a, we have a local um, Philip, Philip Simmons uh, guild um, that I got introduced to as I was getting into it, um, as I got more into blacksmithing and, uh, but most of their, uh, most of their stuff was not knife related. It was more um, decorative or sculptural or, or just, you know, blacksmithing. Scroll, scroll work. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not that I don't like that cause I've done it. It's just uh, always had a passion for knives. You know, like I wanted it to be sharp. Um, so well, you nail your, your masculine, everything works properly. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, I did, I did go to several guild meets. I did uh, meet several people that had um, either, you know, had some, some background in, in metalwork or blacksmithing. Um, but I, as far as knives went, besides, you know, YouTube videos and stuff like that, um, Jason's class is one of the first um, where I was working with a, you know, a well-known um, bladesmith. Um, so before you were knife making, again, back to the Wayback Machine, Ace Leatherworks, mm. where did that come from? Like where, where was the, what was the seed for the, so I, uh, I, my dad runs a, um, a gun shop and I've always been around guns pretty much my, my whole life. And, uh, we, we would have customers every once in a while come in and, you know, want something specific. A lot of times it was, it was funny because it would be uh, somebody that was either left-handed or had something, um, that they had an idea about how a holster would fit or this or that. And, uh, of course we, we couldn't find one or we couldn't order one. Sing me the woes of trying to find a left-handed hole. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we had an older guy, a good friend of mine um, that was into cowboy action shooting and different things. And he, he came in one day with his own, like he had built his own rig. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, so I started asking about it. He used all hand tools. And um, so I bought like within the week, um, I bought my own set of, you know, leather hand all tools. Stamps and- yeah. Yeah. And so um, it took me a little bit. Actually, the first holster I made was a left-handed holster for a friend of mine. And, um, after I made a few, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15, um, the guy, more people kept asking and I, I put them online and I, I started getting orders and stuff like that. And so uh, actually it was just in my truck one day and I think I was talking to my wife. I think somebody else was there and we were trying to come up with a, a name for the for the company. And originally it was just like I, all I did was leather. And so it was something like um, affordable, concealable, efficient. 
and we just yeah. acronymed it with ACE, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and so we started, we started with that and actually I got holsters in a, in a local store. Um, but then right about that time I had, uh, we had our first kid and it just slowed everything, you know, all that slowed way down. Wow. All of a sudden you didn't have time. <laughs> I know, right. Or, or sleep. What's that Either like, one. Kyle? Yeah. Kid confirmed. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack. All right, so first kid came along. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, so I, I used to stay back ordered uh, pretty good, like two two months or so, three months on leather work. Um, but it, it just with working full time and then trying to do that too, it just it was too much, and it wasn't making enough money to off like for me to be able to, uh, you know, yeah. quit quit the full time job or either make them both part time. Um, so well, I just backed way off on it. And, um, it just, it just, just became more of just a hobby. Um, and, and that's in part, you know, what led into some of the knives was cause I started making uh knife sheets for other makers. And I was like, I would see some of their knives and I was like, heck, I can, I can make a knife that good. Uh, <laughs> so, so kind of roll, kind of roll, rolled in, you know, I mean, if, if I've got 70 hours worth of loose time, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's a, it's amazing how many makers we've had on the show that it, they've started with. How hard could this be? i know not at all if you follow the simple steps that we've laid out over the last 43 episodes (laughs) that's right the masters yeah so uh did you when did you stop or did you stop working uh when did okay guys so so i i switched over um i i got um as my uh as i got better at making knives um and was able to sell more um I started and in the office job. I for, I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to think of the timeline here. It all seems uh, like a long time ago, but I guess it really wasn't. It was just a few years. None ago. of us were there, so this you can just <laughs> so uh, so I pulled back. I, I pulled back from full time um, uh, in the office. I think, but but it's still working like 30 hours a week or so, 35. So very close to it. Um, and started doing a few more hours. Not get benefits. We understand <laughs> to uh, to to more hours in the shop, and then. Um, so it had been in 2019. Uh, it was it was shortly after I had I had been on Fortune Fire when I got um, got back and uh, was still just doing some knife work in the shop on you know a couple evenings a week, maybe a day or two. And um, I had a company reach out to me uh, about producing some knives for them. And um, in the the contract for the company was nearly double my yearly salary in the office. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, wow, you know this. Uh, I never thought of it would could get finally get big enough. <laughs> I finally get big enough so I could, you know, not have to work two or three jobs. Um, so I just basically about split it. So I would, I would work two or three days a week in the shop and then I'd work two or three days a week in the office. Um, I enjoyed both. Um, but it became, it kept becoming a harder and harder balance to keep both going. Um, at that, you know, we, with especially at that time we were having a second kid on the way. And so, um, but I was always leery. I had always worked either, you know, salary or something like that where I, where I knew a certain paycheck was coming every two weeks. So it was hard to, you know, find the security there to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I want to go make knives in my shop. I can't promise you I'm going to pay the bills. It's a hard thing to give up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but i uh, got that contract and, and um, it really, it kind of put me on the map as far as, you know, getting better equipment, um, learning how to do stuff better. Um, in fact, that's how I met Ben. Uh, ben Ben helped. Well, Ben contacted me from seeing me on the show at Forge and Fire, um, but he helped me with that first big contract, and uh, uh, you know, it allowed me to build the shop that I'm in now um, and not owe anything on it. Um, and, and it just it just said a lot of things. And then so I was January 
um, let's see, January, this is almost a year ago now, um, you know, a month and it'll be a year. Um, I went full time, uh, working for myself in the shop and I still do, I still do work at the church part, you know, uh, on the weekends, obviously, and if special events and all that kind of stuff and help them, uh, with music or, 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 you know, if we're doing, uh, an outreach or we're doing, um, like 4th of July events and stuff like that, I still help with all that stuff. But, um, but Monday through Friday, pretty much, um, I, uh, work here in the shop. So, so you were still, uh like hobby kind of do what knives and stuff as a hobby when you got when you went on fortune fire yeah oh yeah yeah for sure that's that's pretty crazy with how how well you did on on the show with learning uh just kind of youtube and everything so well yeah yeah uh so uh let's talk a little bit about your fortune fire show uh okay or actually, back up a little bit. You mentioned Ben. Uh, for those that don't know, that's Ben Seacrest, uh, Fiery Ice Forge. Want to make sure to get him a shout out. Uh, he's a uh, he's become a pretty good friend of all all three of us. So, uh, as well as being on the board of the South Carolina Knife Makers Guild. So, but back to the the show a little bit. You uh, so they they contacted you and you you said okay and you flew up there and you want to talk a little bit about what happened in the the show yeah sure sure um yeah um so i i'm i'm kind of a i mean i won't say i'm a homebody but like i you know it was it was a lot it was no it's a lot it was an experience for me to fly to new york and how many times have you been in a plane um uh, at that, that point at that point probably like three or four times maybe yeah. something like that uh, some yeah 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 so, so it was um it was it was uh, I, to me, the hardest part was not necessarily the show. I mean, it had it had its hard parts, but um, so like my flight got delayed two or three times um, getting into New York. So it was very late when we got into New York. Um, I knew we had to be on set at like I think six or seven the next morning. Um, probably didn't go to sleep till three or four, you know, and then uh, back Ooh. up to that. And then I get car sick, car sick easy. And so we had a driver. I mean, he's a great guy, but I mean, he's like weaving through traffic and you know going. You know, <laughs> and so by the time I'd get to set, I'd be car sick. Um, <laughs> And, and but it was good. I mean, the guys, the guys. I mean, still friends with all the guys that I, I was on the episode with. Um, I was supposed to fly out this past spring um, to to actually do a folding class, uh, folder, folder maker class with uh, Steve Coster, who is now a master smith, which is pretty cool. Um, he was he's the guy that beat me on the show. <laughs> but uh, um, what was your what was what personal tools did you? Bring? Um, I think I I brought a hammer. I know I brought two hammers. I think and. Two or three sets of tongs. Mm. I think maybe three hammers, three sets of tongs, something like that. Um, but they came in really handy. The tong, the, the tongs that they had on set were pretty sucky. Like, it just you know what I mean. I'm just be honest. Like, they, I've heard everything that's on yeah, set. So, sucky. Um, well, now like at that point, the shop I was working in versus the shop they set me up with on there was like way better at that at that point. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, it, you know. It was a good experience. It was. I had a lot of fun. I I learned a lot. Um, just just like at that point, I didn't realize the importance of really getting a good community of blade makers around you. Um, it, it, one of one of the guys that, in fact, Vince from um, Broadbeck, he uh, is a good friend of mine. Um, met him, I guess, a year, about two years ago now. Um, and and he told me something one day, and he was like, "Listen, if you want to be a lion, you got to hang around lions. Uh, and if you want to be yeah. if you want to be a good knife maker, like you need to get around good knife makers. Um, it helps if they're good people too. But if they're good knife makers and they're willing to teach you a little bit, um, yeah. you know." It's usually one of the <laughs> that's other. Right, that's right. <laughs> um, so, so really, just just 
just getting in more into the community of makers um it was a big thing the show helped me with you know just these guys some of these guys all the guys pretty much yeah all the guys on the show <clears throat> on my episode had more experience than me and um one was a full-time maker um one had been either blacksmithing or making knives i think like 15 years you know with different things and then steve had been making knives longer than i've been alive um so just <laughs> just to get to compete with them just to get to um you know be there with like and I, and I told him that i was like this is this is awesome like just just the fact that i get to pull my car upside yours is pretty cool whether i win the drag race or not and and then to see in some ways how i could how i could hang with some of them in, in a forging competition or in a you know and so that was cool um it gave me some confidence and and then you know of course they were just great guys i mean they, steve steve who beat me i mean he was helpful even when i was working on on some of the stuff you know he's like well you don't want to do that or you, you know so it was neat that you know he wa- he wanted to win but he wanted to win because you know he won and uh um, yeah, so yeah. It, it was it was neat experience um i'd probably do it again and and, and I've, I've heard guys say oh it didn't really help my business it didn't really you know and and i guess it's just different for everybody i don't know you know i mean I'm, it's not, i've only been on it once and that was my experience but i i yeah. do think that i wouldn't have gotten the contract that i did um because i got that through instagram literally through an instagram message um so you know and, and that was from followers that found me because of fortune fire you know so yeah. it, it did great for me so if you had a uh... A Forging Fire rookie, somebody that was thinking about joining the show or just had, what advice would you give them? Um, I just my my big thing, I would say, just one, if there's a bladesmith in your area that's been on the show, find him and go go hang out for a little bit. Um, and secondly, just uh, what I did was just practice within the time limits in my shop. Like I would give myself a crazy challenge. Like I remember one of the first ones I did was cable Damascus. So I had like an inch and a half diameter piece of cable and I just cut off about eight or 10 inches of it. And I was like, you know, I've got to turn this into a blade in six hours. That's functional. Um, and so I, it pushed me cause I, you know, I never would have done something like that before. Um, in fact, uh, I think the other thing was just watch the show. Like, that's, that's what I did. I watched like two or three seasons, um, prior to going to see what they could throw at me or not throw at me or what. And, and the big thing honestly was, um, seeing how many people messed up from not meeting parameters, like, yeah, like, yeah. you know, and I was like, cause, <laughs> because you're so hyped up, you know, it, it, it's, there's, you're setting an environment to hype you up. You're set in front of cameras to hype you up. I mean, it's, it's TV and it's better if it's dramatic, you know? So, sugar <laughs> you know, and so they put you under all that pressure, which, you know, is, is a good thing. Um, but it's, it's just, it's, it seems to be the little things that kill you, you know, it's the not meeting a parameter or, you know, or getting it way too hot to heat treat it, which you normally never would have done, but you're under all that pressure. Yeah, well, and I've heard a lot of people say with all the the lights they need for all the cameras that it's hard uh, to judge judge the colors uh, yeah. pulling out of the forge. So a lot of people have one of their items has been like a magnet. One guy actually brought like a the thermocouple that he actually put in the forge, so he knew what the temperature was and stuff nice. in there. So that's part of what killed uh, Stephen Fowler is his hand had been crushed, so he had to custom make hammer handles to fit his crushed hand. So all of his items that he could bring were his hammers. Like that took wow. off the entire. Yeah. That's cool though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not every day you hear about somebody that, oops, I dropped a surface grinder on my hand Thanks. and I still, <laughs> and that's still my hammer. Yeah. Hand. Yeah. Yeah. No props to him. So, uh, in the show, uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, John made it to the finals. Uh, what was your final, final weapon? Uh, it was a Javanese Chris, so uh, a curvy, you know, snaky looking blade, double edge, you know, sh- basically a short sword. I think our I think our blade had to be like twenty, 
three to twenty seven inches, something like that. Yeah, I think um, of the you put like two forges together or something like that. Yeah, so it? I yeah I piggy I didn't have a heat treat oven at the time, um, and so yeah I took one of my I had asked a couple weeks before the show if one of my buddies had a gas forge and I said hey can you just leave it in my shop because um, some of the rules stated like if the tool's not there when you know kind of it has to be in the shop so I was like all right yeah. um, and I just took my uh, welder and just kind of welded it uh tack welded it to the back of the other forge um just, you know, that's the only way i could get any enough length to to be able to heat treat that two port into a four that's port. right that's right it really did it really did um so yeah it, you know it was just and this you know it's looking back i was like i don't even know like i don't i don't even know how it held up as well as it did with with the heat treating process i used but it worked yeah yeah i i, I yeah, and, uh, I really appreciated and, seeing you work through all the challenges and stuff and to, to see your, your shop now, I would really love to see uh like a rematch between you and Steve. I know we talked, Steve and I <laughs> talked about that the other day. I was like, I was like, granted you still are a better bladesmith by far. <laughs> I was like, but I could sure give you a better run for your money now. Yeah. Well, and you lifted your apprentice onto such a high pedestal and I don't want to use terms like eclipse, but I feel like the two of you should have a chance to go on the show together. I, I feel I feel like that would be I feel like that would be a good idea. I feel like that would be a, a great idea. A, a redemption mode. There you go. I like it. Yeah. I like it. They've done a couple of redemption shows, haven't they? Like yeah, people that yeah. had like big failures or something in the first round or whatever. It's probably stock so. removal, guys. Hey, nobody <laughs> has failed. They just found ways not to make a knife. Yeah. So what, what's been one of the most surprising challenges as your business has grown uh, that you kind of didn't expect? Um, I think, how is he? Probably the social media aspect of it. Um, so I, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to be able to make a knife. It's another thing to be able to sell it. And I think making is the easy part. Marketing is that's right. That's that, you know, really, it really is. Um, so I think the challenging thing over the last um, year or so, or two years, really, um, because you're turning a hobby into a business that's going to produce enough to live off of, and hopefully a little enough to like put some savings aside as well. Wait, what? What <laughs> you can do? That? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, and, and insurance. It's, it's all the things you don't think about that really get you. You know, the insurance and all that kind of stuff. But um, really. Yeah, um, to me, uh, it's it's super easy to come out here in the shop and just work. Like you know, just it doesn't no matter if I'm working from nine yeah. to nine. Like I, that's that's not hard part. But the hard part, like keeping some of those those processes documented on social media, keeping that audience there. Because I mean, ninety percent. Well, I would yeah, ninety percent, maybe even ninety five percent of our sales uh, come through uh, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And and we have some local. We're starting. You know, in the last two or three months, I've got some local. Um, stores and vendors and stuff to start carrying our stuff. Um, but before then, I had, hadn't even pushed for that because I was always able to um, sell my pieces online. And uh, but keeping up with that—that's you know just just messages and getting posts up and all that—that's probably to me the most one of the most hectic um, parts. But it, it's a needful part, you know. Yeah. You keep using the term "keep up with," and one of the overla- one of the unifying terms or characteristics of knife makers seems to be a lack of organization so how do you keep how do you keep everything organized especially as you move from a hobby to a business how how do you make that work um so for, so for me um it started with realizing uh, a lot of my 
where my weaknesses were with it. Um, and, and one being in or being organized about that and being consistent in my social media. So, um, when we, when I went full time in January, I mean, it, it's really been balancing out since then. Um, I asked my wife, which is way better at all that stuff, um, to help me <laughs> with that side of it. Um, so a lot of times I'll shoot, um, like I'll shoot the video, I'll shoot the pictures, um, and send them over to her and she'll actually put them together for a post, um, on, on the different platforms. And also I, I do classes now. I started class doing classes about it about a year ago, maybe two years ago. Um, and, and she also helps with keeping that organized. Um, um, and then for me too, like on my wall and I'm like on um, where I'm sitting now, but also on my wall by my door, I have a whiteboard and I'll just list out for the day. Like this needs to be done today, da, 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 you know, like that. Um, and, and it, even with that, so sometimes I'll, I'll get behind, but it, that helps a lot for me to have it like right in front of me all the time. Um, if I don't have it either on my notes on my phone that are reminding me or either on that whiteboard, like it, it'll, it'll go missing or it won't happen. That's for sure. I'm old school enough that I write things down and I have a magnetic wall in the shop. So I have um, note cards with all the orders okay. up on the – if it's out of sight, it's out of mind for yep, me. Same. So by having the wall of orders, it helps me keep oriented. Same. Same. Cool. Except, you know, more technologically advanced with whiteboards and <laughs> So uh... – one of the other things, uh, you're actually sponsored by Benchmark Abrasives, I believe, right? Yep. How, yes. how did that? How did that all come ar- come around? Um, so when we started picking up, I guess this is probably three three years ago now, two or three years ago. We started. Um, I started with classes and and had gotten the. Uh, this is right before I got the contract, I think, for um, to produce knives for a company. Um, I had talked. There was, Who is this mythical uh, company? Portland, yeah, no. So it's uh, it's uh, Portland Electric um, in Portland, Oregon. Um, they they were a coal company uh, that was going out of business. They had been in business for about thirty years, and they got in contact with me about making uh, cleavers. They wanted meat cleavers made out of the steam pipe, uh, actually from the company itself. So they shipped me. Um, I don't know how many thousand pounds of steel. Um, which was actually pipe. Um, and they, thankfully they did split it. So it kind of was C shaped pipe when I got it. Um, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's who I got my first big, uh, contract with. And, um, it, it is, it kind of kept rolling from there. Uh, but right, I think it was right before actually I, I started on that. Um, uh, I had got contact with, I'm trying to think of, I think I talked, I, I guess maybe I shouldn't use names for some of the stuff, but I had talked to another belt company about like, hey, um, we have some big contract work coming up. I mean, you're talking, we're going to need, you know, two or three thousand dollars, four thousand, five thousand dollars worth of belts. You know, we're talking two hundred meat cleavers, quarter inch thick. We're profiling them, cutting the bevels. You know, so I was just in, in anything like I've always done, uh, especially when some market price, right, right. So anything I'd always done in sales, like you know, um, if we were purchasing, especially for restaurants or whatever, like if we were purchasing enough of it, like we'd get a good cut. You know, if we were purchasing enough front at once. Yeah. There's the one price. There's the five price. There's the ten right, price, right. and there's the hundred. Right. Price. You know, because how many and, and how many knife makers order you know two or three grand or four grand worth of belts at one time? So, um, well, the really successful makers that <laughs> listen to this podcast, right. and then everyone. Right, right. So, I mean, I I had never up to that point. You know, I, probably my biggest order of knife belts was you know three four hundred bucks, and uh, so I I called around to several um, companies, um, you know, like you know maybe like Combat and and. Uh, uh, red label and stuff, and they were they were nice. They all gave me quotes. They were like, you know, if you buy this many, you know, we'll do it. And um, I talked to um, 
uh, Jack is either the owner or one of the head, head sales over at um, Benchmark. And, and I told him what kind of what we did, you know, so we, we do some classes and um, I said, we're getting pretty good into this. We had gotten a decent following online and I was like, if you'd be interested in working with us, you know, I'd be interested in working with you. And, and it was, I kind of just kind of fell into my lap to a certain degree, you know, like he was like, he wrote me back. And, I've got a back and he'd scratch. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. No, he, he, uh, he, it was really nice to work. We, we talked for a little while um, and he was like, yeah, we'd be, we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be happy to work with you because they were more, um, at that time, um, I think I was one of the only bladesmiths that that use some of their product um and uh they were more into the fabrication side of things like mm. uh, more into the metal shops you know with with car 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 stuff and um you know and just fab work you know and uh so it kind of opened i was like you know a lot of these guys especially in the two by 72 you know belt grinder world that's it's more of a knife maker kind of th- you know tool yeah. and um and i talked to him about it telling him that you know hey and i was like you know I'd be, I'd be glad to you know spread the word of course blah 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 and and um that's kind of where it all happened and then um i remember like the first they they gave me one of the best prices um but yeah so they i started working with them a little bit before that so it's probably been about two or three years now um and and they've been great i mean i i i've actually ha- since then had other um, places talk to me about using their stuff, and I, I, you know, I'm not saying they're that benchmark is the best belt, but I'm not saying they're not. You know, I'm just saying I'm happy with them. I can respect loyal. Uh, you know, I'm happy you with them. Yeah. That would work with you. yeah, it's a good product that you have faith yeah. in. No, you you may not say it's the best, but you can say it's the, been the best. That's right. No, it's exactly it's it's, it's been, and I, it's what I told them the other the other company. I was like, listen, I, these guys have been with me kind of from my start as far as like going into this more full time um they've been super supportive anything i've ever asked um from helping us you know with um like a lot of times we'll do a charity auction or charity raffle and they're always in that to you know help promote it and um it just they've just been, they've been great you know, there's a very needful charity called dance <laughs> They're getting ready to start college. <laughs> Both of them. You better start making a lot of knives. That's all I can say. The second one's about to go to college, and he wants to go to good college. <laughs> nice. I'm like, be all you can be. He's like, yeah, Dad, I've met you. That didn't work out so well. <laughs> Holy Shore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, There's some comparisons. Uh, so, uh, where did the, the Batarangs fall into that whole uh so how, i guess how did you how did you even decide to start doing those uh how did you better <laughs> about two years ago my um so so when you're the guy that you know hits hot metal and make sharp stuff like you become instantly popular with all your <laughs> with all your nephews and you know and the kids in the neighborhood um so i think it was a christmas two years ago um uh, I was trying to f- figure out how to make something or to make something for my nephew. And um, there was a couple of kids that come over at one time and we had talked about making uh, ninja stars, you know? And I, I was like, why? I was like, why don't we, you know, why don't we make a battering? And half of them were like, what's a battering? And I was like, I, I used to watch Batman. <laughs> and uh, so I drew it out. I had an um, old sawmill, well, actually it was an old, but a, a more modern sawmill saw blade, you know, and I uh, drew it out. Um, cut it out with a torch. I think I had a torch or a plasma cutter. I cut it out, you know, profiled it. Um, and I, I think I made two or three of them and I gave it to him for Christmas. And that was a stupid idea. Um, not because it was not a cool gift, but because 
you're the coolest uncle ever. Every kid that saw those after that was like, where do we get those? I made so many. <laughs> yeah, I made so many batterings. I, I, I don't even. Yeah. So then I then started having a water jet cut, and but they're just a cool. In fact, so a lot of times if I teach a class, what I would do is with the class, you know, I had a big like axe throwing target, but a lot of people, well, I'll say a lot of people, half the people can't throw an axe too well, but everybody can throw a battering. All right, like as long as you can throw it at the target, they're going to stick into it. So we would start doing stuff like you come to a class, and if you can beat me, like if you could outscore me on the target with a battering, I'd give you one stuff like that, and it just kind of rolled. In fact, I just shipped out an order of batterings like last week. Um, um, and um, but then I started having them cut water jet cut out of ADCR V2, <laughs> and uh, it made the process a lot easier. But yeah, it was just it was just a, a gift idea, and it just rolled into a lot of people wanting them. Yeah, and you got uh, you know who has two bombs and no battery. <laughs> you got a you, this guy. <laughs> you made a couple of uh, videos of the battering on TikTok that have uh, went pretty pretty yeah, high on yeah. views. Yeah, like yeah, you know, one of them got nearly a million views. So it, it's you know you never know. It's it's the, the the thing I find interesting about social media is it's like this. It's like the the stuff that I don't think is like all that great and amazing. Uh, you know, people think it's like oh that's yeah, you know, and I think it's just process. A lot of it's just process videos or or you know a, who knows. I I never thought you know nearly a million people would want to look at a battering, but hey, it works. Yeah. You know, I'm a little bit of a geek and. I'm a little bit of a food geek. So some of the spatulas and spoons you've been doing with like the hybrid materials, the iron and the, the copper. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little in <laughs> Like If I was a prehistoric man that slung a hammer rather than using modern techniques, that's what I would <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm like, chasing. I, um, well, let's let me think. Um, I think I saw a copper coffee scoop. I don't even know where it was probably another maker on Instagram or something. Honestly, I can't remember now. Um, and I had about a year ago, I had bought some five eighths copper rod from a, from a local guy. And I just wanted to actually play around with how it forged, you know, like how, how would copper forge. And so I still actually still have two or three of the sticks over there. Um, I think I traded him a knife for the two or three sticks of copper. And um, so I came out here, this is probably six months ago, five months ago. I came out here and I was like, I'm going to forge a copper spoon. But I was I was using, you know, five-eighths rod in a, in a piece of mild steel. Um, but it took me like, geez, I didn't have a swage block or anything. It took me like probably two hours to actually make this one little copper spoon. And uh, I gave it to my wife. It was, a co- you know, she still got it in there. It's uh, w- weighs way too much because the copper I was using was way too thick and um and i was like there's just no way that i could do like there's no way it takes way too much time to build you'd have to sell this thing for like 100 bucks you know i was like there's no way um then i started then i found uh, actually some of my first uh spoons copper spoons were made out of one inch uh copper caps like for pipe so Mm -hmm. i took a ball peen hammer and I would lock the ball peen hammer in the post vise and use the, the dome top part. And I would drive the drive the one inch cap and, and form it, you know. Um, and some of the first ones were that. And, and I actually enjoyed it. Like it was, you know, because you could forge copper cold and it was just something neat to break up between knife orders. So I'd do, you know, I'd forge the knife and, and have it in the heat treat oven by lunch. And so, you know, if they're for 30, 40 minutes at lunch, I would hammer out a, a copper scoop. Um, and then they, it, it, every time I'd get a few done, I'd put them up on Instagram or Facebook and they would, they'd be gone so fast. I was like, oh man, I, I should start doing more of those. I'm not going to lie. I had no idea that I needed a copper coffee scoop. 
until I found your Instagram. <laughs> uh, and so then it, it, it started rolling. Um, I, I started buying. I bought it. I bought a sheet. Dude, wait till you price 16th inch sheet copper. Um, so I, I bought like a one foot by three foot piece of sheet copper. And I bought a swage block, uh, a spoon swage block, actually an old one, and started making a few more. Uh, it, a lot of local people liked it. A lot of people online liked it. And um, But it got to where I couldn't keep up with my knife stuff and play with the copper at the same time. Like I, I wasn't disciplined enough to do that. I At points, I enjoyed the copper more than knives, but the knives paid a lot more than the copper. Are you going to be a, a I know, right? I know, maker. right? A maker or a <laughs> yeah. or um, but but I had always so I like I <clears throat> for the shop I had always wanted to get eventually I mean I, I always wanted to make stuff to a certain extent but I, I wanted to get where I didn't have to make something every day you know I didn't have to fill an order every day to make a paycheck so I was like some of the only way I'm going to do that is either one get a cool enough product produced that somebody else can produce it and you know I can have part of that there or start getting some employees. Mary well, Mary well also works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or or get some people that um that you know can work with me for me that kind of stuff. So about two months ago, um, I hired uh, a young a young kid. Well, he's fifteen. He's not a young kid, I guess. But um, he started working. He started working uh, two afternoons, two afternoons a week, and um, he he does a lot of the um kind of the grunt work of the copper side of things. So he'll he'll like uh, do a lot of pro- cut a lot of the profiles out for me and that kind of stuff. And then interesting enough, um, there was a, a friend of mine, friend of my wife's, a lady. Um, she asked me about making a, uh, I didn't, I didn't even know they made, I didn't even know this was a thing. You can tell I'm not a foodie. Um, but it's a spoon holder, like the, the holders they put beside the stove. Mm-hmm. Or, anyway, so she had a picture of this, like, it, it keeps all the crap there you go. in the spoon holder rather than on your counter and keeps your spoon from like wobbling over on your counter. Right. It's, it's, it's a vital piece of work. I, I have since, I have since if learned you're that. A real cook, and uh, so she 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 found a picture of of a spoon holder and was like and it was copper it was made out of copper and um, was like hey do you think uh, you can help me make this and I was like yeah sure we can cut it out of the shop and you can just you can form it over one of the anvils um, so we did that and I, and she just like loved it like she loved working in the shop she you know and and uh, and I was like I was like hey um, would you be interested in making some more of these because you know so we we. Um, since that was about two months ago, and since then we've probably produced oh shoot a couple hundred pieces of copper where um you know I would say close it to that never, doesn't it? Like, yeah. the thing that you're just screwing around that actually wasn't going to be yeah. a thing yeah and the next thing you know it is a yeah. thing so we we've got now we have copperware um we have copperware in a bakery um uh, in Columbia Forest Acres area, Kudzu Bakery and Gallery, they carry our copperware. They've already they already got one order. They placed another order this past week, which we're working on tomorrow. Um, we have another Smith down in Hanahan, South Carolina. It's Josh Weston, they work and they run uh, Ren Fairs. Um, they they actually carry our copperware now, um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's I, I mean I couldn't believe it. Um, it. It's been really cool to see, and I'm, I'm hoping uh, to push more of that side of things. It's got to be a nice feel to look another Smith in the eye and go, yeah, here's my stuff. You <laughs> um, well, you know, it, it, a lot of it to me, to, I, part, of, part of why I like being a maker is just figuring process out, like making dyes to make it, you know, making the process easier. Um, it, well, if you solve the problem, it's not fun yeah, anymore. There you go. There you go. That's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of who I am. And, um, and it's, it's added another 
like for the first, you know, for the last six months, I would say I pretty much worked in my shop predominantly by myself. Ben would come in like on Mondays and Tuesdays sometimes, but um, so it's a different, it's a whole different feel to have two or three people working around you, working with you, and trying to keep keep enough stuff that's going for them that you're selling enough to pay them. It, it's it's a different ball game, but but I've enjoyed it. Um, it's it's been more stressful, but uh, but I've enjoyed it. It's a different pressure. There you go. And you can't say, oh, I'm just not going to work today because <laughs> you got three people that do because you have to pay yeah. them. Yeah. No, I I, uh, I, uh, I messaged my wife the other day. It was about two weeks ago. I was having a hard time um, getting it, – it, right now, it seems to be hard to get any kind of your raw materials just from either shipping you know, and different things. Oh. And uh, yeah. it was killing – I had uh, online metals. I think it was online metals. I had been getting my copper from them. And um, I called back. I had like two through two sheets maybe. And then we started getting some of these orders for like 40, 50 pieces at a time. Well, you, you blow through copper like it's nothing if you have 40 pieces going out. So I called them back and I was like, hey, I need to get, you know, four or five more sheets. And they're like, uh, we can't get anything till February. And I'm like, ah, that's nice. Right, right. I was like, oh, crap, you know. And so I called several other companies. They're like, we don't have any. We're, we're ordered out to like thousands. Like, that's not going to work. Um, so I had a local. I called a local. <laughs> I called a local guy. And um, he found a supplier that had some four foot, three foot by four foot sheets, uh, which were a lot bigger than I was used to working with, a lot heavier. And um, so I ordered. Sometimes you just gotta commit, relax, know, lean into it, see. What I know, happens. right? So I ordered four or five sheets, which is a considerable chunk, and um, and and picked them up. I think it was two weeks ago. I picked them up, and uh, I I was talking to my wife. I was like, you know, it's sad when you have more copper in the back of your truck than your truck's worth. Like I'm just telling you, that's sad. <laughs> Wow. I've driven that truck more than once. <laughs> so among your many accolades, mm. Phenomenal Smith, you work multimedia, you've been Fortune Fire, South Carolina Custom Knife Makers Guild president. How's that been for you? I've actually really enjoyed it. I was, I was talking to somebody today in my shop uh, about the guild and – the, the one thing that I have probably enjoyed the most about knife making is the community. Like the, the every, no, I would say nearly, nearly everybody, I would say 90% um, of knife makers that I've met have, have just been uh, supportive. They've been, uh, you know, friendly um, and, and encouraging. And if they're, if they're, if they're more of a beginner coming into it, they're, they're just so curious about the craft, you know, and it, it's, and you have guys that have been doing it longer than me, and they've always been very helpful to me, most of them. And I actually really enjoyed the community and how supportive it was with whatever I was working on. For you know, I, I had several Smiths that I met just on Instagram, um, and I'd be like, "Hey, man, I can't figure this out," and they would, you know, they would answer this, whatever. And to be able to do that in return to a lot of these new guys that we have in our guild, I mean, it's very fulfilling. I mean. I have a guy come in this Saturday um, that that joined. You know, I didn't I didn't even know he was in the area. He's like forty five minutes from me, um, but he's he joined our guild. He was it was he was at the hammer in at my shop. The first meeting was there. I think he was in the meeting in Greenville as well. And uh, and he's coming Saturday to do a knife making class with me to just kind of up some of the things that he's he's lacking in. And I, I love it. I you know just the community there. Um, and it's been great to meet all those people. Um, and then being able to work with uh, you and Ben and seeing other sides of it. So I, I never into much kitchen, uh, the kitchen stuff as far as kitchen knives and learning more about that, learning about the geometry there, learning about, you know, a handle, handle shape and all that kind of stuff with that. I mean, it's, it's been great to me and it's great to kind of break up the like, you know, I'm working in the shop every day, all week, and I'm not really having that social interaction that I used to have in the office and stuff to have that with a lot of people that are, you know, have some of the same um, passions that I have about being a maker. I, I've really enjoyed it, to be honest. It, it's been strange, like 
talking to a, it's easier for me to talk to one of the old established guys because if I trip up or if I'm not quite right, he'll point it out. We'll smooth it over. We'll move on. The pressure I feel when I'm talking to a younger guy to give them the absolute best possible advice. Like I'll tie myself in knots talking to some guy that's been making knives for three weeks. Whereas one of the old school guys who I really should be in awe of because he's made more knives than I've had thoughts. <laughs> yeah. it, it's an easier yeah. conversation. Like that, that shift of pressure is hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. It's, it's to me. And one thing for me, um, with it, it is, um, I never, I never really thought of myself as like, oh, like I, kn- you know, like I know a lot about that, and I still don't think I'm. I think I, I honestly, I think I'm still a. No, we don't think. That <laughs> I know, I know. Like I still think I'm very much a novice at at, at at a lot of this stuff. Um, and so having guys in the guild be like, hey, how do you do this, or or can you show me how you do that? It's in ways it's humbling, and, and it's to me it's so much because I told one of the guys he was like, he was like, what's what's the best way to become a better knife maker? I said, find a better knife maker and, and see if you can hang out with them. You know, and I, and it's true. And I was like, had, and I wish I had more experiences like that. You know what I mean? Um, when I first started out, and being able to do that now for some of them, it's 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 humbling and it's very rewarding um, to be able to share that with them and see them level up so much faster than I did because no one was helping. You yeah. know, no, I didn't even know there was anybody in the area. You know? Yeah. You know, I've I've heard coaches talk about that their greatest success yeah. is one of their athletes becoming better than they are. And conceptually, I could kind of wrap my head around that until I started working with some young knife makers and the pride that I took in seeing them advance so much faster than I did. And I mean, my ego wants to say <laughs> it's because I was a good teacher, <laughs> yeah. but, but it has to do with their skill and opportunity, but it really does give me pleasure. There's some guys out there that I look forward to the day that they're better than me. I look forward to learning from them. Yeah. No, that that's that's one of been the big. I mean, honestly, over the last year, year and a half, is is working with Ben um, and seeing him progress. It, and it's just it is so funny because I, and I told him I, <laughs> I told him the other day I was like I was like had it not been for you and some of the contract build that we did a year or two ago, I was like. I, I mean, I'm sure I would have gotten through it, but I definitely wouldn't have gotten through it in the amount of time and and with my sanity as much because a lot of these newer guys they bring so much uh, enthusiasm, so much like every new pro, every everything new is just like oh, that's so cool, you know. And I was like, let's do this. Yeah, I, yeah, right, exactly, exactly, right. And but that pushes me forward, you know. It, it really does because you know, their enthusiasm kind of spills back over because I can remember the first time that I did that. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, and then they, they push the envelope. Yeah, yeah. They push the envelope because they're like, um, yeah, I like I had a guy a while back. He's like, he's like, can I come do a, um, you know, a Damascus chef knife in a class and like do it a day? And I was like, uh, no, 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 we can't do that. Um, but to have some of these younger guys that are like, you know, pushing the envelope as far as like, hey, can you get this to weld to this? Can you, can you forge this? Can you, you know, and and it pushes you, you know, and, and that's what I like. That's that's the atmosphere I like to work in. Um, I think that's the atmosphere I do best in is where somebody's there um, pushing my limits, you know, because a lot of times I won't do it myself, you know. Well, because you get comfortable, yeah. but I also enjoy the new perspectives. Yeah. Somebody that came out of a different but slightly, slightly associated industry, 
with their new perspective of, I never thought of doing it that way. Like I was, I was in my focused rut. I had my way, this works. And then somebody with different influences that approaches the problem from a new direction and shows me a new way to handle things. And that's one of the things I love about the guild meetings yeah. is, you know, you're running into people with fresh ideas. The answer may be, may or may not be fresh, but the approach, like you learn things just by how they've got to the answer. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. It's center punches, Dan center punches. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds like new technology. <laughs> Really, after the hammer, there's no significant advancement that's ever been made. That's true. That's true. That's all you need is a hammer. Um, so you've hosted, uh, you've hosted a meeting. You've hosted some hammer ins. The good, the bad, the you do different, the you do it again. Like, um, how was that experience? Um, so the the first and why was it life changing and amazing? Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the first meeting, um, it was actually a lot bigger than I thought it was. I mean, I think we probably had like sixty people, maybe sixty five. Heard that so many it, times. it was a lot. I mean, there was um, we had just so my shop was probably only I don't know a few months old, and um, the yard, like my house, was partially framed in. And, um, and there was tribes and we have a pretty big front yard. I get, well, comparatively, I guess, I mean, it's probably, yeah, no, you had to lay out, you had to lay out, we parking, had to lay out yeah. parking and we had to get people out. So my drive was real sand. We, it was pretty crazy, <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was so encouraging in a way though, because like, I was a little bit like, okay, is it going to go well? Is it not going to, you know what I mean? Like our, what kind of response are we? We had people driving from like three or four or five hours away. People that had like come down on vacation. Right. I have lunch for 30. How many leftovers are, am I going to have? Yeah, yeah. And so it, it was that, that it was, it was humbling. It was encouraging. I was like, wow, we can, we, we're really going to make, cause you know, you, you start something, you know, and you talk on the phone about it and you have meetings about it, but you don't really know how it's going to go until it happens. Um, and it was, it was such a good turnout. Uh, and the pops, pops knife supply came down as well. And it was, it was neat. You know, I had a great time. Um, ben and I both had a great time. It, it I was like, wow, this is, this is going to be something, you know what I mean? This is going to be a, a neat yeah. community. Um, I met so many new guys, uh, you know, um, that some of them were in this area and I, I didn't even know it. Um, in fact, I would say half a dozen of them have come back in the last, you know, last three or four months. In fact, I got a call from one of them yesterday um, just asking me how my family was doing, you know, and it's just, I've never would have met these guys, you know, and, uh, it was, it's, it's me. A very genuine community. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And, um, I, I never would have pictured myself as like somebody that was like, they're going to call me about asking me about stuff, you know, but it, it but it's turned into that and, it, and it's great. I, I, I enjoy it. And sometimes I have to tell them, you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know the answer to that one, but I can help you figure it out. The, I learned early on that one of the best answers you can give is either I don't know, but I can find oh, out, yeah. or I don't know, but here's how you can find out. Right, right. As soon as you start bullshitting people, they know. Yeah. The best thing you can do is like, hey, I don't know, but here's a resource. Right, right. And that's that's one thing actually I've I've really enjoyed about Ben. You know, with with all the guys, like, like stay humble, man. Like if if you know, there's all the stuff he asks you that you don't. Know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, but just but just that you know the good sense of community, um, and all the support from you and Ben with helping with it. I mean, it, it was good. And the hammer in, I I probably enjoyed the hammer in just as much. We didn't have quite as many people. We probably had like thirty guys. Um, 
but we did a little like um, we had some different things going on, and then we had the railroad spike uh, forging competition. I enjoyed that. Just just the community and those guys, you know. Um, I like to hammer into the more intimate feel. Yeah. yeah. Because sometimes in the meetings you can get a little lost right. trying to so go many people, and right. at the same time. And that was a little slower pace and you could actually spend time with people. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that. In fact, one of the guys that um, came, David Linder, he's a, he's a member, pretty sure he's a member. Um, he had been to my shop a couple times. And, um, and, and what, what I've tried to do over the last several years is if, if there's – like I make a you know, friendship or connection with a maker. Um, I wish I could do it to all of them, but I don't have enough money. <laughs> so, But like mm-hmm. if that person you know, had significance there or whatever, like I'll try to get a knife from them. Uh, and I'll have that knife just sitting mm-hmm. up on my shelf in the shop or whatever. I don't, I don't normally carry a belt knife. Um, every once in a while when I go hunting, I do. Um, but I'll use that just as like, hey, this is that guy. This is his maker. You know, and that's mm-hmm. – it, it's meaningful to me. It's meaningful to them. Um, and it's who is the guy that brought the ginormous claymore? Like, oh yeah, uh, um, dang! I think I had his name written down. I think I have it on my uh, on my email. Um, but I think it was huge. I think it was like what nearly six feet with the handle. I oh, will five and a half feet, something like that. Yeah, it was like a legitimate yeah. full <laughs> yeah. body yeah. And half claymore. No, wow. That was cool. That was cool. We had we had, some, we had some interesting things. Interesting things come coming through the shop. I'm excited about it. All right, so. Now that our listeners have been exposed to you, Uh-oh, I'm scared now. Forge and fire, forger extraordinaire, <laughs> officer, um, South Carolina custom knife makers guild.com. Look into it, trademark, <laughs> uh, board member. How can they find you? Uh, well, we're on. When they say, shit, I want to be a part of that, <laughs> I want a piece of that legacy. How do they find you? Um, well, we're on Instagram. Uh, you just look at my name, John Medlin. Uh, we have a website as well, aceleatherknifeworks.com. It's all spelled out. I should have made a shorter one, but I didn't at the time because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, yeah, we all knew that. Okay. <laughs> um, what else? My email is dan at dogwood. Custom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. You can just search Ace Leather Knife Works on Facebook. It'll come right up. Um, we're also on TikTok, which I think is my name again. Um, but yeah, any of those, you shoot me a message. Do you do dancing videos? Huh? Do you do I dancing don't, videos? I don't, but my wife was showing me some today that she wants me to do in the shop. And I was like, um, just like I'm both excited. And yeah, it's, it's it's a hard balance to be like that social media person and the knife maker at the same time, like you know. But it just be part a pretty, of it. You had a pretty funny it's one. It's all funny games, so the hot tongs go in the wrong place. <laughs> That's right. Was the was the one where you made the like Christmas tree ornament? Oh, copper uh, spatula. And, yeah. So that one that was that, that yesterday. One, yeah, so a couple of those on Instagram have done really well in the last like two or three days. Um, like we sold, I think we shipped. I think we sold two more this morning. I don't know, somewhere around like seven, eight hundred bucks worth of Christmas ornaments in the last week or so, copper Christmas ornaments. And my Great. wife did these little videos, you know, that we're putting on um, Instagram. Um, that yeah, we're cooking in the miniature ornaments or or whatever else, and they like they went they did great. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Uh, we had like four or five thousand people look at them in like an hour, you know. So it was you know, you never know with that stuff. That's that's the stuff that blows me away with with social media. Sometimes you know you that actually the the idea for the Christmas ornament came from a mistake on my lathe trying to spin copper. And inspiration, <laughs> you mispronounce inspiration. Inspiration, right? Um, opportunity. I mean, opportunity. That's right. You that's had right. An opportunity on your that's life. right. So, but it, but it, it's funny because it was one of those things. Um, 
so, so I was trying to spin copper, learn how to spin copper because, you know, because I needed one more thing to do in the shop. And um, it, I was trying to make more of the size of like, you know, maybe a, uh, I'm like a shot glass almost, you know, out of copper. And Cam's got a little weight. Yeah. So yeah, and so I cut it off. I cut it off short, and I was like, I was like, dang, that looks just like a. Um, I cut it off on my lathe. I was like, dang, that looks just like a little small frying pan. So I hammered out a little handle for it, put two sixteenth inch pins in it, riveted it together, and I was like, heck, it's a Christmas ornament. Um, the the worst part about it was, and you can see it later on in one of my posts. So I was not able to successfully reproduce the mistake. That was the problem. So I went to try to do it again. I went to try to do it again, um, and I was like. I can't get it. I couldn't get it to spin. I couldn't get it to, to, to make the same, you know, shape again. And I was like, are you kidding me? So it took me, you can look back. It took me like 50 tries, but I, I was like not stopping. It took me like 50 tries to figure out how to do it again. And now, now I can make one in probably, you know, less than a minute on the lathe, the, the bowl part at least. But yeah, it, it was, it's crazy. That isn't twice as much as three times as much. <laughs> Just, yeah. at, at that point, like by the time I, I was telling my wife, I was like, by the time, we got where we could successfully produce it. Now it'd be great for next year, but by the time I got where I could successfully reproduce it with you know with the amount of time that it needed to be able to make some money on it, like I was like we didn't make any money on these, but it's okay. I'm holding out for a coffee scoop. Okay, all right, I'll make I'll make that happen. I, I think I'm I'm thinking that in the next guild we're gonna have to have several copperware pieces in the iron in the hat and all that good stuff. So you know what. Those Georgia Guild guys, they don't work by metal. Ah. I just figured out how we're going to own them for the next <laughs> Guild meeting. We're going to do a Guild meeting, and it's going to be by metal. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Like, anybody can pound one metal. That's right. That's you right. you got to ring Two or three. No, so I hope I hope by then. So the thing we've been working on on the side, so I've tried to be more disciplined. So I, I'm the, like, I hate making the same okay. thing over and over again. Inside. And uh, so this thing we started playing, in fact, the, the lady that started helping, um, she she came with up with the idea that she wanted to do pans, like either copper pans or, you know, or steel pans. And I was like, well, you know, it's definitely something we can look into. Um, but right now we have so much work with the other stuff. I don't know. You know, it might be after the first of the year. But then the more I just got an image of me forgetting to turn the eye off and there being a multiple <laughs> of copper. So we, so uh, I started looking more and more into, and the more I looked into it, the more it interested me um, of how to make them, how they did make them, and, and I started looking into. Um, we I looked into copperware, and, and that that might be something we play with, but it's so expensive right now with with the way prices and material are. Um, and uh, my parents, came, my parents came out of New Orleans, okay, and they swore by chicory coffee. With the cream warmed in a copper pot, like that was there yeah. was no substitution. <laughs> that was the only options. No, yeah. So we yeah. looked into that, and it, it was, and it it's it still might happen. But then I looked more into um, uh, carbon steel skillets, you know, in, in which I was like, I think we can, you know, at least the material cost will be cheaper to start into it and look at yeah. it. And um, I guess about a month ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, we, we made a small one, like you know, I don't know, like a single egg pan um, that yeah. was hand forged, and then. Um, I actually made my own set of dies um, with my lathe and some other tools to press a uh, an eight inch skillet, carbon steel skillet, and I pressed I pressed two of them uh, with her help. Let's see, two weeks ago, and my wife's been using it for about two weeks on the stovetop, and um, the other one is in fact hanging up over there. Um, but they turned out really nice, um, especially for first attempts. Depending on how you finish them out, I mean, companies like Smithy and Butterpat, I have given them ridiculously, ridiculous amounts of money. So if if that's something you can make work, I mean, this is a maker's podcast. We're 
We're all in it. Oh. Oh, damn. Look at the finish on that. Okay. So, Dan Eastland at 116. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Are you going to press more? So, of yeah, this? No, yeah. So, the plan, the plan. Uh, I already had like I don't know how many people try to because uh, I did a video, you know, a little short, just showing it, saying we're working on it, and I already had a bunch of people ask about, hey, can we? And I, in fact, I already had one of the uh, one of the stores and Josh, uh, you know, asking, could they could they buy them wholesale to resell? And I was like, let me let me get the process down. But what I what I would like to do, in fact, you probably will have one coming your way before too terrible long, because I want I want to send it to some people that are foodies, okay, and, and give good honest reviews, you know, of, of what kind of product it is and that kind of stuff. And I can give you some home level and then I'll send it to a couple of my yeah. chefs that I completely wait. Are you that toy? Um, <laughs> and they will do in a week what most people do in a year. Yeah. So for R and D value, it's phenomenal because they can give you a year's worth of R and D in a week. Yeah. No, no. And so in, in fact, I just talked to two other um, uh, guys about it. And one of them has got a you know, pretty good reach when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I just told him, I was like, you know, I think we're, we're just starting. And again, about the whole community of makers thing, I talked to a guy out in um, Oregon, Stagecoach Farm. So you guys can look him up. He's a really nice guy. He, he makes a lot of cookware. I've been making cookware for a while. I think it's all him and his wife do is make uh, carbon steel cookware and uh, copper and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he gave me a lot of pointers, uh, a lot about the processing and stuff like that. And uh, I'm super excited to see where it goes because I really enjoyed making them because we've used it. The one I made, it's it's, it's eight inch diameter, so it's not a big pan right now. But we've used it for two or three weeks now, and it's it's That's bigger than you think. Yeah, it's it's our go to pan now. It really is. Like we've used it more than any pan in the house. Um, we've omelets, uh, sausage, uh, uh, all, I mean, just all kind of stuff. Um, what I, and what I'm interested in is the cast stuff. You know, the finer sands for the castings are more expensive. So a lot of times you get very coarse sand. Mm-hmm. And they cast it, and you get a very coarse finish. Right. But looking from what you did with press it, yeah, you've got a really phenomenal. You, you do. It's, it's stronger. It's stronger than a cast pan. It's almost eight inch thick. So it's it's twelve gauge steel. It's almost eight inch thick. Um, and then we have a double process of how we get that initial finish on the steel. Um, so uh, I, I will say we start in a blast cap cabinet, and then we finish uh, with another machine to get that slicker finish. And then, of course, it's seasoned. Yeah. You know, and it's seasoned just like you would season, very similar to how you would season a skill, a cast iron skillet. Um, but it's, I, I, one of the videos I showed the other day, and I was amazed because I, I never used one up to that point, a cast iron skillet. Uh, and I mean, a, a, a carbon steel skillet, but um, I, I seasoned it really well. And then we were cooking eggs in it the other day and I uh, put a little oil in it. And like, you could just slide the egg around in the bottom of it. And I was like, I was going to say, give me that smooth yeah. chasing egg around the pan with some good heat distribution. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yours. Yeah, that no, it, it was it was great in that thickness. So that added, I mean, it's it's I don't know what that pan weighs. That pan probably weighs, I don't know, probably a pound and a half. Too. I mean, it's just stout. It's stout, but I mean, it's it's nearly yeah. eight inch thick. And uh, and just, I mean, it's, I really enjoyed it. What I would love to see happen, like I'd love to have a, a line of them that we do for you know for the home cook and for the chef. And then I would love to because because I'm an outdoorsy kind of guy, like do another line with longer handles for cooking over a campfire. Yeah. Um, and that's something we'll play around with. Hopefully, you know, January, February, March. How do you feel about doing, I mean, you do enough forging, you've got a a horn on your anvil. How do you feel about doing sockets? Um, 
that's something we looked at because I, I saw another maker that they, they made something called, um, and this, ours would be a little heavier duty, but they made something called like a cow, uh, a camp. What do they call it? Oh, what's those deep dished bowls? Like that you see in like the Thai restaurants and stuff. Um, like yeah, so they made, okay, so they, so they made like a campfire walk, and so it had a socketed handle so that you could cut a limb or cut a piece a branch when you're out in the field yeah. and put the wooden handle in it and cook over, you know, and, and that was something. No, I, I really thought it was a good idea. So I got to be honest, Chef Craig turned me on to it. Mm-hmm. Like I have shifted from my outdoor cooking being a lot of cast iron to a walk. Okay, because trying to rather than try to level the cast iron, I just slap that walk down into the bed of coals. Okay. And work it around, and it self-centers. You know, it takes a little while right. to get used to cooking on a conical right. or a concave yeah, yeah, yeah. versus flat. But, yeah, I mean, I just slam that thing in the coals, and it self-centers. Very cool. Well, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we get where we can produce, produce in these, and you can uh, you can test out one of our, our campfire models and see if you like it more so than Ow, that. ow. Okay, quit twisting my arm. <laughs> <laughs> You need to come up to the undisclosed location. Okay. Um, just outside of uh, South Carolina. Okay. I I will keep you in. I'll keep you in the loop for the next uh, Camp Morningwood gathering. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds good. No, it sounds good. I, I I we shot so we have a uh, a small pond behind our place now, and for the first time. Yeah, help fill that. Oh yeah, yeah. For the first time, it's about two weeks. Let's see, duck season opened up right around Thanksgiving. Season. We shot, we shot two wood ducks back there, and uh, I wish I had hired my pans ready then because I would have loved to have done a duck in one of the pans just to just to try it oh. out. So that's 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 coming up next. Is and there's something about it. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is because I'm not really a foodie. But even I have felt this a little bit. But when you have your own handmade spatula, your own handmade serving spoon, and your own handmade pan, things just taste better. Hey, when you get well insulated like Kyle and I are, <laughs> and you fully appreciate all the pleasures that are food, you'll, you'll get it. I got you. I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, baby steps. I mean, this doesn't happen overnight. You got to work for it. I got you. Yeah. All right, so um, I've gotten a little sidetracked. Uh, you're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, yep. TikTok. Yep. All the above. Uh, Playboy, Penthouse. Shh. <laughs> hey, that was early in your that, career. Yeah, I mean, we we're talk, only we're talk about that. We're going to talk about that. The stuff that happens in the shop stays in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to hear more of our podcast, Kyle, where, where could you find that? You can find the podcast at knifeperspective.com and you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and you can find the podcast pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com and uh, he's on Facebook and Instagram. Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com is his email and you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, uh, cagedailyknives.com. And uh, Kyle at CageDailyKnives.com is the the best email if you want to send me an email. Thanks, John. It's been great getting to know you. And uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, and uh, say good night, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> good night, Kyle. <laughs> no, thank you guys for the opportunity. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's been a blast, and I appreciate you guys your time and and all the good questions. Um, had a good time, and I hope somebody else has a enjoyable time listening to it. Yeah.
Thanks, everybody. Hey, have a good one. Well, let's take it to the edge. Because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about our things now. Because that's what's expected.